Welcome to Where Hope Grows, a podcast curated to tell the inspiring stories of land stewards, ranchers, and farmers who are on the front lines of the regenerative revolution. Interweaved with wisdom inspired by Mother Nature, these journeys are testaments to her capacity for healing ourselves, our agricultural systems, and our planet. Welcome back, you beautiful creatures. So happy to be capturing even just a sliver, a tiny bit of your attention today, which is actually pretty incredible when you consider that we're not purchasing your data or mining your ears. We are not selling you products either. We're just here composing a freaking symphony of hope. So are you guys ready to party like Ludwig von Beethoven would? On this week's episode, we're wrapping up our three-part series on hunting, and we've saved the most salivating episode for the finale. When I think about everything that goes into putting a nourishing meal on the table, I clearly recognize all the hard work, all the hands, all the time that is shared in the overall process of creating that food. Preparing a meal is only a small part of the overall saga but it is undoubtedly one of the most important. To honor the life of an animal not only is expressed in how the animal lived or how the animal died, but equally in how it was prepared, served, celebrated, and consumed. Adam is truly unique as a professional chef in the sense that quality ingredients grown or raised on thriving living soil actually matters to him. He curates masterpiece meals sourced from local, seasonal, and traditional methods. When not in the kitchen himself, Adam is often found getting his hands dirty, either hunting and harvesting his own meat, or elbows deep in his own biodynamic garden. I guess what I'm really trying to say is that if I was a member of a cannibalistic tribe, I would specifically request Adam to cook my body and serve my body parts to friends and family when I die. Now, that might be a little weird, but I think about this stuff all the time. Without further delay, here's my boy, Adam Pascorius. When I hear your name or I visualize your face, what do I think of? What images conjure up in my head? So obviously, I think of a man that knows his way around the kitchen, a master chef, dare I say, uh, an artisan, you're just absolutely talented. You've cooked for me and my family some of the best meals we've ever ha- had. I think that also speaks to your love language for food. And it's my same love language, which is to share and to eat in a really special communal setting. I really admire that. You have set those intentions and, and integrated that culture into your family dynamics. And then when I also think of Adam Pascoris, I think of a hunter. I think of a gardener. I think of uh, a florist. You brought these beautiful flowers today that we have in the studio. Yes, sir. Love it. And then an amateur biodynamic uh, aspiring practitioner. Very amateur. <laughs> like myself. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing, when I really just focus on your last name, Pascoris, I think of uh, some kind of dinosaur from the Jurassic period that's yet to be unearthed. That's funny. You know why that's funny? That's how I met my wife. Yeah. <laughs> I, you got to explain that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That a- so she was actually a waitress at a place we were hanging out at. And as my young chef 
vibe was going. I handed her my business card to come see me. And she looked at the card and she's like, your last name sounds like a dinosaur. So <laughs> that's just what it all nails. So Piscorosaurus. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the the apex predator, bigger <laughs> than uh, Acrocanthosaurus and T-Rex. That's funny. Um, so you also have 25 years of... Uh, experience in the restaurant industry. Yep. You're the executive chef at True Foods Kitchen. Yes, sir. And as I was like just riffing on all the things I think <clears> of with you, what did I miss? Nothing, man. Um, you know, family man, I guess. Yes, sir. I don't know. I love my family. Um, love being outdoors, those kind of things. So I think you nailed it. And hey, man, going back at you, you know, much love. Really getting to know you has been great. Um, I love the way you operate the way your brain works. So I'm excited to kind of get into this with you, man. Yeah. Well, this is going to be great. I'd say the one thing that I love uh, that you're always into, and as I think about you, is maybe in a previous life, you might have been a librarian too. <laughs> a librarian. Because you're always giving <laughs> me awesome books. Yeah. That was that was from my upbringing with just really good chefs, just always handing me books. Yeah. Stuck with me. And now I have millions and millions of books and I love to share them. And I know you're into biodynamics and that's kind of you and I are just on that, on that page together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so today's the intention for today's podcast is, as you know, this is a three-part series about hunting and kind of <clears> diving <throat> into some deeper stories, some untold stories, celebrating these tales, these animals, the gifts that they give us. This is really exciting. This is episode number three of that series where we're going to really dive into, obviously, the culinary side of things. And cool. so that's why you're here. And um, we're so disconnected from the flavors of wild game that we don't even know how to articulate how it tastes, right. right? Like we say gamey, which is so weird because it's like you're using a noun, which is like the game, the deer, you're saying, <laughs> how's it taste? And you're saying right. it tastes deery or gamey. Like it's just so- like It tastes that, real boring. Yeah. It's so lame. It's <laughs> right. like if you did that with wine and uh, one of those som sommelier yeah. dudes heard you say, oh, this wine is very whiny, yeah. they would just shit their pants right. immediately. Right, right, right. And Not so, the terroir part and everything where it's grown and where the, you know, the animal's living and things like that. That exactly, and your your idea about convenience being a driving factor to where we kind of have like shifted our palate towards modern farm meat. I think that's really interesting. And there's this quote by Aldo Leopold where he just says like the modern dogma is convenience, hundred percent. And I think convenience is a really. I think you're being polite, but I think in a way you could say it's just laziness. Very lazy, you know. Um, being in the restaurant business and. Seeing what's going on, um, you know, to go and DoorDash and Uber Eats is higher than I've ever seen. It's doubled since COVID. So it's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. That's nuts. And, um, you know, like when I think about all these factors driving farm meat and kind of changing, shifting our palate, you know, I have to think that the inputs in the the factory model. So like when you go to the grocery store, you go to your restaurant and you're buying like uh, a domesticated animal, like a beef cow or a sheep or a goat or a chicken. Chickens right. are a really great example. 100%. Uh, those animals are so highly controlled and the, how they're raised is so mechanized that like all of their inputs are accounted for. The amount of daylight they get is accounted for. The amount of activity they get. A lot of times the genetics are changed to 
express themselves in a way that they grow really fast, really cheaply. Right. Um, and, and so like, you're just, we're just losing all this and we're losing all this knowledge in this relationship to these animals. And it's so sad, right? Um, knowing that these, these animals, that's the lives they're living. Um, and some of them don't even see sunlight, which is just very, very, very sad. And I can't even think about just the impact that it, has on that creature and just, you know, not even being tapped into source anymore. It's, it's, I don't know, not a big fan. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's like the disconnection to people and their sources of food that allows that to exist. Right. Cause you, you're like, how could that even be? How could someone ever volunteer to eat uh, a chicken that was raised in a barn, never had sunlight on its body. Right. And you say, oh, that's, that's messed up. I would never do that. But the fact is, if you're like buying industrial chicken, you're probably doing that. And you're eating it and you are what you eat. Right. So it goes to that. Absolutely. So if we look at um, kind of production farming um, and we're going to get to the good stuff, which is like the wild game. That's why we're here. But we just need to get our grounding, (laughs) a good foundational base. And so when we look at this and we look at all the inputs that control these animals, just kind of want to riff on some of the inputs that I see or the variables I see controlled and how that changes the eating experience for an end consumer or the, or the animal itself. Yeah. So first of all, you kind of touched on the age of an animal, right. but maybe just to kind of reiterate how uh, a young animal might eat compared to an older animal. Let's start there. Yeah. I mean, flavor, obviously. Right. Um, I always look at it as, you know, I, I like an older animal because I just feel like it has more nutrients in it, more life to it. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. Um, you know, younger animals that don't get to eat wild things that they're supposed to. Um, you know, it's just not the same flavor profile. Like you can just look at the different colors of meat and tell if it's been factory farmed or, you know, if it's grass fed, grass finished. So, um, you know. Yes. Yeah. A good example of that maybe that I think of them as like lamb yep. versus an older sheep. Right. Call it mutton. Mutton. That's not necessarily <laughs> the most flavor salivating provoking term word. But yeah, like, uh, I mean, like the complexity of an older sheep is just, it's like a different species. It really is. Can't even account for it. But yeah, like a, a lamb is what under, you know, is it 12 months or it's pretty something young. like that? Yeah. I mean, if you really dig into all the animals, um, it, it's pretty sad to think about. You know, chickens being three, four weeks old, yep. you know, and it's it's disappointing. So it's really, it's actually really hard to purchase or to find meat from an older, more seasoned animal in the commercial meat industry. I think so. I mean, I think it just goes back to the cost of raising an animal, right? Like having them on your land for seven years, like what's that costing you by the time it gets processed and hits the plate? Are they making any money off that for all the feed it's intaking? And I mean, maybe because it's just a bunch of crap, but yeah. who knows, you know? So, so yeah. So maybe this is one window into hunting. If you're just even curious what the flavor of a, a more seasoned older animal could, what that experience would be like. Right. For sure. Uh, that's an access point. Um, so let's next talk about the sex of an animal, male, female, how are your thoughts there? Even if you're um, like hunting, you know, I like to shoot a male animal. Um, obviously, they have that more, you know, wild taste to it um, due to them having testicles. You know, with deer's like all those hormones is producing to grow antlers, just kind of makes it a little bit more tough and more more gamey. <laughs> so, um, you know, a, 
a doe or something like that's going to eat a little bit better. Um, we go Neil guy hunting every year and, um, you know, it's a, it's a half split between the crew. Some are doing males, some are, are, are bulls and some are doing cows, you know, and they just, that's the flavor that we like, but we all share and go after it. But, yeah. you know, I've always been after the males. That's cool, man. Yeah. I, um, I was trying to pull up a picture really quick about, uh, some castrated beef cattle. Yeah. Cause that's like a common practice right. in, in factory farming, you know, like a young animal to your point, removing the testicles to control the production of testosterone Yeah, that, that impacts the actual pH of the meat, which in, impacts the tenderness, the flavor, the flavor. It. Yeah. Huh? It impacts like how that meat is rated and graded. Mm -hmm. So it's common practice to castrate an animal, yep. which is chop its freaking nuts off. And, and this, like, if you start looking at side-by-side -side images of like, these can be brother cows, like brother steers or brother, a bull and a steer. So right. a bull has its balls intact and the steer doesn't, you know, like they were born the same time. And after one year of life, it looks like, you know, the castrated one is just this like Bill Gates weird. <laughs> That's exactly what my brain did too. <laughs> yeah. Physical, just piece of slop. And then the other one is like, yeah. I don't know, like just Sean Baker. Or there you go. Like some just totally jacked dude. Right. And so, yeah, when you see that, you're like, huh. Which what, one do I want to eat? Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. What life force do I want to put into my body to, to transfer that life force and that energy? And so maybe, maybe the one uh, exception is you've heard of Bortain. Yeah. Yeah. So. That, that's a thing, I guess, you know, they'll say, well, pigs are different. Pigs are different. Yeah. Have yeah. you ever consumed uh, an older pig with his balls intact? I've had a lot of wild boar through people kind of giving it to me and you, you can definitely tell the difference. Yeah. You know. So that, that boar taint, testosterone, yeah. it's, it's actually like a flavor deal. It and is, but it's just like, you know, you look at, you look at weight and different sizes of animals and it's just you cook them differently right not all animals are created equally you yeah. know so you just gotta approach them differently and i think that's just knowledge and spending some time knowing what you're getting into and what you're killing or eating and knowing how to cook that stuff absolutely yeah one um example that comes to my mind is we uh we were night hunting at the ranch one time and, and we were pig hunting and this was before we had we spotlighted we had like this really old school thermal that sucked. And you couldn't tell if an animal was hundred yards away or 10 feet away. <laughs> and, and there was a pig and we shot it and it was 10 feet away, but we thought it was a big boar at a hundred yards. And we got up to it and it was a suckling pig. Oh. This little baby was still yeah. just like milk was all over its face and we didn't know what to do with it. So we put it in a cast, uh, like a crock pot, like right. a cast iron crock yeah. pot, slow cooked it overnight in some broth and dude. Okay. So we're talking young animal. Yeah. Sex probably didn't matter, but the age class did. That was the best Fattiest meat I've ever had in my oh, life. Dude, yeah, I agree. No, <laughs> so, um, baby pigs, good stuff. You it's know? the best. Yeah, I agree. And you can just do them whole, you know. And it's not it's not going to take you fifteen hours to get that thing cooked. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of suckling pig. Nice. Um, it feels like weird eating a baby anything, but it does until you eat one. You're like, yeah, I'm never going back. I mean, like you said, it was your scope, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's all that Katie, my yeah. wife actually yeah. requests now. But you know, I look at it like, I mean, if you're going to shoot it, you want it to die faster anyways. Um, you know, if they're running around and get back to flavor of, of meat, it's like, if you don't hit it right and it's running around, it's all stressed out. It's going to be a tough pig to taste delicious. You know, there's gonna be a lot more work that goes into that thing. Absolutely. So you spoke a little bit about like the terroir of, of meat, but yeah, talk a little bit about how like the regionality of the animal could impact 
flavor. Yeah. Maybe even what terroir is for people who don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know the exact description, but, you know, um, just kind of where things grow. You know, if you look at wine, you talk about, you know, different wine flavors in a dry climate where like, say in Napa, you know, that fog flies in every morning. It just sits on those grapes and it's just a different flavor pro- profile. So, you know, getting back to animals, um, I've had meat from everywhere working in restaurants and, you know, some of these grass fed, grass finished cows out in like Tasmania with like the best grass in the world, you could tell the difference. Absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. You know what I mean? And then you get into Texas where, you know, you shoot a deer in the beginning of November and it's, it's a little bit different, right? It hasn't been having all those grasses because nothing's growing. So um, you can tell the, the flavor difference. That is, that is really cool. I think that's something we could probably teach ourselves too. Yeah. If, if, a, if like a, a, a sommelier wine guru can like sip wine and know what region of the freaking planet it comes right. from, like that's in the meat. We just aren't paying attention to that. I agree. Which is, which is, I think a little bit of a desecration. So when we talk about uh, season and kind of like locally eating, that's really hot and trendy in the, especially like the restaurant right. community and <clears throat> industry and foodies alike. But I feel like they're always like the focus when you talk about seasonal eating, it's always on plants. Right. Um, but like, where's the place for a chef to really think about the locally seasonally available meats and, and how to celebrate that? How does that fit into the equation? I mean... We're all about it, right? I mean, not only does it reduce the the footprint of animals traveling and cars and whatever, however it gets to your plate, um, I think it starts there. I think we all need to eat more locally and seasonally. I mean, here in Central Texas, like we're super close to the coast. We can catch really badass fish, some of the best shrimp in the world, right? Like when I lived in Chicago, we were still getting our shrimp from the Gulf of Mexico. It's the best shrimp in the world, right? Um, and I, I think it goes with with the animals we too we have now too and Texas is cool because we have some exotics that have just kind of ended up here and are here now so um i think there's a lot of ways to get excited about it <clears throat> and you know you go to the farmers market now and you know 10 years ago it wasn't the same you know it was like it's hard to find things people were trying to like figure it out there was like one grass finished guy over there and you would kind of try to support but now all these people are kind of into it and are using the land and understanding like what it takes to raise these animals on that land and it's good in my opinion it's really good yeah um so i think there's a lot to get excited about yeah i think to your point like the the deer for an example, like these wild animals, they know what wild grasses and forbs and legumes to eat for certain reasons. Right. Like they still have that intact evolutionary knowledge and that wisdom. So they're like every bite is not just by accident. It's no. very planned, very meticulous. And so they're putting the nutrients in their bodies that their bodies need. They're finding them. Whereas like we've already kind of discussed with domesticated <clears throat> animals, a lot of time they are just, those instincts have been bred out of them right? or they're fed one single species of grass. And so, yeah, I do think there's something to the different times of years when the different plants are growing, you get those different flavor profiles. And probably one, one of the most well-known examples, like hunting bear when all the mountain blueberries are in right full the blueberry bloom. bear right the ranella thing yeah <laughs> yeah dude i mean it sounds amazing right and it makes a lot of sense right i mean it reminds me of a story we um we serve sea buckthorn right um it's this fruit that grows i think it's i don't even know where it's from i should know um but there, the story that comes with it is like alexander the great when he was conquering the world 
those guys were all super tired and just kind of beat up. And one day all their horses came back and they all had these orange mouths and they were just like, just fucking ready to go. And, um, so he, he had a bright idea of just to follow them where they went and to see Buckthorn ended up bringing like their crew, their army back with energy. Oh, and nice. it was like, it's part of like how he conquered was these berries. So that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. That's yeah. like the wisdom of the animal yeah, right? guided the human. I think we should look more into that. Right. Yeah. yeah. What's that? What's that creature over there eating? <laughs> exactly. Maybe I should eat it too. Or look at that cactus, right? It grows all the time, you know, in this hot, hot weather. Like I love Nepalites, right? And it's just like looking at that plant and seeing it survive, it's something I want to eat. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Is the survivability of different food resources. And in this part of Texas, central Texas, I mean, 90% of Texas is like this semi-arid environment where, man, it's been like 60 plus days, over 100 degrees. We're not getting I think we're any at the rain. Now, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's bananas. <laughs> it's like bananas. no rain. And so, you know, if you're like, okay, I want to eat locally, I want to eat seasonally. Hmm, how did like the pioneers in the 1800s survive out here? Right. They weren't surviving off of like monocultures of, of vegetables. No. And they uh, were getting them shipped across the country. Yeah. I mean, especially if there was no irrigation. 100%. Back. And so it's like, okay, well then what is the true essence of eating locally in like a semi-arid environment or a grassland or savanna? And it's like the animals, the ruminants that are converting that solar energy into food. Like the indigenous knew this. Right. Pioneers knew it. Right. And so I, I think like for us to truly eat locally, um, and this is 90% of Texas, this is semi-arid regions. This is like, uh, I think 70% of all land globally. Right. And so it's like, Hey, wake up. These animals are gifts. Like yeah. this is the true expression of what they have eating the knowledge. Is. It's been passed down. <laughs> Absolutely. Without doubt. And so even, um, kind of thinking about, again, plants, especially mm. wild plants, kind of like being more celebrated sometimes than the animal counterparts in yeah. nature. You know, there's like a lot of excitement where people talk about the medicinal value of, of plants. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, like, I just wonder like, well, what's the medicinal value of, of wild animals? If we're talking about like wild plants, there's gotta be something there. Right. Um, I don't know all the specifics of it all, but you know, I mean, you look at an animal as you break it down and talking about like hearts and livers and all the nutrients that go in that, I think, I mean, it's all there, you know, you could survive off that stuff. You don't yes. even need plants in my opinion. Um, it's good to have big fan of them. I love growing them, mm -hmm. you know, all That's that true. stuff. So. I know you love growing them and, and cooking them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're very, you're very omnivorish. Uh, the, the plants, like for me, the medicinal value of them, a lot of times it's going to be like that, uh, that hormesis. Yeah. We're like at a very low dose. Yeah. You know, it's just like it, it provides some kind of needed stimulus for your body to where there's like a little bit of a reaction and your body like compensates and, right. oh, and reacts back. And then you get this like health benefit. 100%. So kind of, but if you eat too much of that plant. Yeah. That's not good. You're probably going to get sick or yeah. shit your pants or die. Yeah. And, you know, those plants are just trying to survive just like everything else is. Yeah. You know, you know? Yep. I mean, that big bag of okra I brought you today. I was so itchy after digging into those big <laughs> nine foot tall plants, you know, and it's like, they, they didn't want me to pick it, you yeah. know, but so, here so we that's are. that yeah. plant defense yeah. mechanism. But, you know, that okra's got a lot of protein and Absolutely. You know, a lot of vitamin D from all the sun. So, yeah, um, I love that stuff. Um, so like if, if the plants have this hormetic ability to help give us, uh, medicinal properties. And then like you were saying, I think the organ meats are like the most nutrient dense parts sure. of the animal, but there's also like that idea of like life force supports life force. So, and, and it's more documented than this. It's like the, 
antioxidants in eating a heart of a wild animal happen to be the same antioxidants that promote heart health in you right. as the consumer. And it goes like with all these organs. It's crazy. Which is so neat. I know. I know. And I, I just feel that we all need to dig into that more. You know, a lot of that stuff goes to waste and um, it's so good for you. It's so good for brain development, you know. Um, you know, and, and I'm a big fan of trying to sneak it into my kids' food, you know, no, yeah. help them grow. Get How strong. do you sneak it into your kids' food? Um, you know, chili, soups, tacos, <laughs> you know, the easy stuff, um, quesadillas, whatever I can do. Just right? like dice up a heart and throw it in there <laughs> or, or grind it? Or... Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, that last Neil guy we shot, we, uh, we made like a little ceviche with it. Which is really cool. Um, we did like a pico de gallo and some chunks of avocado, some nice corn chips, sea salt. Yeah. And um, she saw me making it and she was like, I'm going to try it. So hell yeah, let's go. You know? Um, so I think, it, you know, even being open with the kids and just cooking with them opens their eyes and they want to be involved. And, you know, she loves eating everything I kill. Yeah. Yeah. There you go, little Addy. Yeah. Um, so when we look at, you know, um, that the end of life transition. So an animal living its best mm. animal life, then transitioning into death. How does the, um, how does like, how, how does that impact flavor? So like the juxtaposition is your factory farmed animal getting put on a trailer, being transported hundreds of miles in some circumstance, very stressful, then unloaded from the trailer. Um, you know, they're off the land, they know it's home, their food resource is gone. They're like on the highway driving 80 miles an hour. It's yeah, like already stressed. Yeah. It's a horrible end of life. And then they're unloaded in some kind of pen confinement. Uh, there's like artificial lights, crazy loud noises. I mean, it sucks. Like not a good end of life. Yeah. But then to the, to the juxtaposition where it's like that wild animal that you're hunting, say a deer that has this just like really peaceful end of life, zero stress. It's just like, um, very quick transition. How does that impact flavor or texture or does it? I mean, it does a hundred percent, you know, um, that stress just, shoots into the meat and makes it super tough. You know, um, that's why that shot is very important. Um, being, I mean, the last deer I shot <clears throat> was like picking berries out of a, a tree, you know, and I hit it and it, it fell and it was amazing. You know, um, it's sad, you know, but that's where it all starts. It's like, you know, once, once, once you, once it's down, um, then the real work really starts. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think it's just it's so important for them to be comfortable. And even with, you know, the way people are doing farming the right way, you know, these animals are dying a better life, uh, are, you know, um, becoming that transition is a lot easier for them, which definitely you can tell in the food. Yeah. You know, like a field harvest or yes, something like that where sure. animals, Life is transition right. on the property. Yeah, it's it's for sure a higher level. Well, they're home. They've got their friends around um, eating what they want to eat. Yeah. You know, I think that's great. Yeah. When you said that, when you talked about that last deer you shot eating out of a berry tree, maybe it's a persimmon tree, I'm imagining, but <laughs> it's like, uh, just that's how I want to go. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen. I'm yeah. not going to be here forever. You're, no. you're not going to be here forever. So like, what if we could choose to be right. just peacefully, like in such a, like a in flow my garden state? And also, yeah. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's, and then yeah. you transition. I mean, that yeah. sounds better really than nice. being in a prison. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Prison hospital. I oh, know. That dude. would be like the factory oh, model. Um, so let's talk about, uh, now let's get into like some, some serious hunting stuff and some, uh, etiquette, best practices, maybe some common mistakes, things that people should avoid, pay attention to. So things in your experience, let's just walk through the whole process, uh, from, you know, like you're transitioning that animal into death 
And that's kind of like the middle of the story because there's a lot that happens before that. Yeah. And all the buildup, yeah, out there, the gear, I mean, driving, Manning. all of it, right? No doubt. Sleeping in somewhere <laughs> you don't want to sleep. Yeah. That's a part of the <laughs> yeah, story. Yeah, 100%. And then you have your, your animal that you harvested and then it's like you have the next chapter. Right. And so let's, let's kind of just walk step by step. So you did talk about the placement of the shot. Yeah. Um, where, like, what, what is typically kind of placement wise? What do you like to sh- shoot for with like a pig or deer or an elk? I mean, pig, if you can get a good headshot, I think it's a good for it, right? Um, in my opinion, but I mean, just that shoulder right below it, um, trying to just get through the lungs or the heart or somewhere, you know, right? Um, just to drop it, you know. Um, I haven't been hunting my whole life, you know, I just picked it up five years ago, you know, um, always fish and did things like that. Didn't have a dad growing up. So, but <clears throat> you know, what I've seen that's worked for us is, you know, making sure the shot's great, letting it relax, give it some time. Right. Um, don't let it jump up and run away. Um, let it die peacefully. You don't run up on that thing. Let it have its time. Yeah. Um, let it breathe out those last breaths. And if you can be around within, you know, 20 yards or so and and be present for it, I think it's great. Helps the animal transition in my opinion, because sure. we're all there trying to make it, you know, like, I don't know. It, it's sad to watch it all happen. <clears throat> and then to the point, it's like, I don't know. I, I think getting the guts out immediately is important because it cools the animal down. Right. And then I feel like, you know, having it hang, keeping it cold and dry is the most important thing. Right. Sure. You don't want to just skin this thing and throw it in a cooler full of water and ice. Yeah. Um, all that will get into that meat. Oh, that's the worst. Man. It's the worst. Right. Yeah, I don't know where that... Uh where that belief started that that was the way to do it. Maybe it's it just crazy. Like man. a food safety thing. Like you got to chill the carcass as fast as possible. Right. Right. But yeah, to your point, I don't even know if hopefully this isn't, people don't know about this, but there's this idea of what you're explaining, putting a deer or another animal in right. a carcass with ice, sometimes water. Mm-hmm. And, and that's no good. It's no good. No. I mean, water carries bacteria, which is one thing, right? So it doesn't help <laughs> anything. Oh, no. um, but not only that, um, that meat sucks all that water in. Um, I've seen ice water cook meat before. You oh, know gross. what I mean? It just gets like this grayish color to it and it gets real tender or not tender, real tough. Yeah. Um, and it almost ruins the animal. Right? Yeah. And then once you're breaking that thing down, like having it on the cutting board and trying to get get after it when it's wet and slimy, it's moving around on you. Um, it's constantly pouring out water and then once you get into the grind part like you're in another position right because when you're grinding you want it to be super cold you want it to freeze yeah so if you're going to freeze this meat that already has water in it what's it doing to the cells of that meat right is it you know it's going to leach out so then once you get into a sausage casing or whatever you're doing with it um or a frying pan you know all that stuff comes out of it yeah so i think slimy yeah dry cold that's the way to go that's that's really helpful. So to get it, um, like I think the best I, the best circumstances you're like hunting on a cool fall or like winter day, and oh, it's, yeah. and it, there's like a thirty five to forty degree window yeah, at night. Anything you just below forty, you're outside, good. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you don't have that, what are what are the other options to like chill your animal down quick? Um, I mean, you could break it down into big enough pieces where it fits in your yeti or whatever cooler you have. Um, wrap that thing really good. Trash bags, whatever. Um, and then keep it on ice where it's not right on there, like the skin or the meat's not touching the water in the ice. 
and then have that cooler with the with the plug open just draining you know so it doesn't seep in there because it's going to find water finds a way anywhere right um so i think that's the best route to go and if you keep it cold and dry like that like it can last night cooler for three four five days yeah you know and then you can still get it out and have some fun with it when you're butchering it yeah yeah um Man, I didn't want to overlook it. I think it's it's important, but like like you kind of just touched on the emotional part of that whole experience. Is yeah. It, I mean, there's a lot. It's overwhelming, right? It's overwhelming because you're like super excited. Your heart's going 100 miles per hour. At least mine is when I'm yeah. about to pull the trigger. And then next thing you know, it's like animals down and you want to kind of shift the way you are thinking and be present with that animal as it, as it transitions. Exactly. Um, exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like a roller coaster. It, it's... It's a roller coaster. Yeah. Like how can you be like sad and on the brink of crying, but also so happy? Yeah, it's a lot. Simultaneously being so grateful. Yeah. And you Um, might be deaf too from the gunshot. So there might be a lot going on, right? Yeah, (laughs) totally. But I think kind of like even giving back, like giving that sacred time for that animal to to transition. Like you'd mentioned, like chill out, don't get up in its face. Because yeah, it doesn't want to see you by its side in its last moments of of life. Side eye in you as it's bleeding out. Yeah. No, like there's the apex predator. Right. No, I don't think so either. And, and um, do you, is there anything to like, do you like to like say a prayer or kind of like take a moment to, to, I mean, obviously like the blood's important to me. Um, you know, I know it's, it's weird and there's just so many stories on how you do it or whatever you do. And it just goes way, 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 way back and a little bit on the face, a little bit in the mouth. And, you know, I feel like you show your appreciation and and sit there with the animal for a minute, right? Before you start snapping photos or whatever you're doing with it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone's, everyone's experience there is different. Right. Um, And And they all don't go perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's like the intention. And I think there's a lesson to learn in when that doesn't go perfect. Right. So like when you have a, a shitty shot or you have a good shot and the animal is still like, like these are just amazing creatures that, I mean, I've seen it before, like double lung shot and it can still run a hundred yards before For it falls. Sure. And you're like, that was the speed of lightning. Right. It's going to take me two hours to find that. Right. It's amazing. It's crazy. It is. I mean, it just shows how powerful they are. Yeah. It's the kind of food I want to eat. Exactly. No, that's, <laughs> that's the food I want to eat, the food I want to uh, feed my family. Um, so, okay. So now we're kind of like talk through a lot of the steps and now we get to this one that I feel like it's a little bit of a controversial heated topic, but uh, aging. So what's, why, what is aging and maybe like, why is it important for a wild animal? Yeah. I mean, obviously like aging and hanging, um, definitely want to get all that blood out of there. Um, you get your wet age and you get your dry age. Um, it helps break down the enzymes, um, tenderizes the meat a little bit. Um, you know, all that stuff that comes with it with dry aging, you know, it's actually like drying it out and these enzymes are breaking down the muscles and making it tender. Um, so there's a lot that goes behind it. Are you a dry age guy or a wet age guy? I'm dry age, but not the 240 day you're talking about, you know, um, <laughs> I've, I've had it where it's been funky, you know, um, I was funky. Like what's, what is a very long dry aged animal taste? Like? I, I've had some that have been a little furry that we cut off and then, you know, putting in your mouth, it was immediately blue cheese in my head. Right. <laughs> um, so it just depends, you know, everybody's palate's different. Um, and it's good, right. It's delicious. Do I want to eat eight ounces of it? No, but I'll take a bite. Sure. Right. <clears throat> but you know, if it goes 40 to 50 days, 
I think you're there. Yeah. It's perfect, you know, and you're not wasting a lot because with dry aging comes, you know, it's losing moisture and it's just naturally drying out. So when you go to eat it, if it's gone too long, you're, you're cutting a lot off. Yeah. Right. So Absolutely. I'm not a big fan of waste. So how, so I can like dry age, hang an animal in a cooler, a walk-in cooler. Right. That's easy peasy. But if, if you just are like on your first hunt and you're bringing the animal home in a cooler, how do you get that? some of that dry aging effect at home? I mean, what I've done is just in the cooler, in my refrigerator a little bit, right? Um, But I think the most important part is there's things you can eat when you harvest, right? And I know we're probably going to be talking about that. Um, But I I feel like it's important for it to sit a couple days, let it bleed out. Um, So that's just what's worked best for me. Yeah. So um, I like how you do it in your cooler, not in your refrigerator. Huh? You you do that whole process that yeah. couple of days in your yeah, cooler. Yeah, yeah. The wife doesn't want that. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. that would be a pretty boss move of your wife. We don't be, want that dripping on the blueberries, right? <laughs> to be cool with that. <laughs> or if you have your own devoted cooler, right? which I have seen some people well, do. Well, I mean, I, I, like I said, I've been, I've been in a lot of kitchens and we've done some projects and try, trying some things and it gets funky, right? I don't want that in my cooler. Yep. Yeah. The, um, I've tried grinding meat the day of a harvest. And it is just not right. It no. does not turn out right. It's not firm enough. It has too much moisture. Right. Um, and then it just kind of turns into like this weird paste mm-hmm. that it, it's so sticky. Like it's kind of like you, you could eat it in spaghetti, but right. it's almost like eating cat food. Yeah. And so that's kind of like everything <clears throat> tends to get a little bit better with certain degrees of aging. Like stuff you're going to grind, you don't need to grind it for four or you don't need to age it for 40 no, days. So these no. are maybe your prime cut. You want to lose about. that moisture out, right? And like it goes back to what we were talking about because you want to grind when it's super cold, yeah. right? Because that, that metal heats up and it just starts kind of heating that meat up and the fat and it just, like you said, turns into this pasty thing. So I think the less moisture in there um, is better, but not going too far. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's different philosophies with grinding, but I feel like we probably have the same one where, uh, I think I, I just will argue all day long that grind is some of the best meat for your body, for for the animal, for the utilization of it. But I mean, like when I'm grinding stuff, it's, it's like, oh yeah, I want that tendon in there. I want that connective tissue. I want that cartilage. I want that fat. I mean, all that collagen that comes with it, right? It's just so good for you. It's good for your nails, your eyes, everything. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's the source of life right there. And so with those grinds, like you said, you can get away with some of those things that you wouldn't just pop in your mouth or you couldn't even cook. On the sizzle pan or whatever you want to do with it. You just be chewing on that thing for hours. So Absolutely. Grinding it. It's, it's great. Yep. And yeah. if you're in doubt, then double grind it. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> even do it again. Yeah. Um, no, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. So if you're, we get this question a lot with hunters that come out and they're just super <clears> stoked <throat> and they like, they want to go back to the cabin. They want to cook something that night from the animal. Right. Uh, What's the, what's like, what are your options for like best eating experience night one? Night one? Because it's not going to be your ribeye. No. Don't do it. No, don't do your ribeye. You want those things to bleed out and you want to give them some time. I mean, I've seen people even like cut the back straps out and try to get after that. And I'm like, no, no, give that some time too. It's better. But like with a deer, you could get into the tenderloin. Right. And if you really want to eat some meat, you can chop that up and make a nice tartare with it with some mustard and raw onion. And if you got some nice pasture-raised eggs, egg yolk on there. Um, big fan of the heart, like I was telling you. Um, we always make a tartare out of it. Um, but I usually do like a more Mexican-style kind of fresh lime and things like that um, with the pico de gallo and avocado. 
With liver, that's another one that people love. Um, the way I like to do it is cook some bacon and then fry that with bacon and onions and just chop that up. But the best with all that stuff is to do it over an open fire, right? On the campfire. It just feels normal. It feels right. Um, so that's that. those are the cuts that I always go after. Dang. Right. That sounds so good. I think, yeah, these are the cuts that I would... I would suggest too. I always recommend heart yeah. first, and I think a lot of people don't probably have never really eaten a heart, and they they might think that sounds a little bit odd. But to my understanding, a heart is like closer to a muscle than an organ, and uh, if you cut it right, yeah, I mean, you'd be mistaking it for like a tenderloin right. or or like a fillet or something like that. Yep. I mean, I mean it almost looks like really good tuna. It, yeah, know? yeah. I yeah. wonder if you could do like poke or well that's uh, kind of what the style we do right dang. so it's like chop that thing up bite size and fresh pico with onions and serranos and lime juice sea salt absolutely and, you know and just some kind of crunch to go with it right yeah. if it's a sweet potato chip or a good beef tallow chip or something yes. like that all the organs are so good fresh off the animal right like, like but as warm as it's coming off like don't ever if you can consume them without ever having to refrigerate them the quality, the texture, the taste is just all day long better. And we've had liver where we'll eat it raw and just say, this is the best thing we've ever eaten. This right. tastes like a freaking honey crisp apple. And then uh, put it in the refrigerator and 12 hours later, go back to it. It's, and it's completely different. Right. It's like the texture is different. It's slimy. It uh -huh. has those characteristics of liver that typically turn people yeah. off. And so, yeah, I think I think the key of what you kind of tap it into is like, Eat your organs first. They're yeah. the most nutrient dense, but they're also the most. Yeah, you flavorful. don't want those things hanging out in your fridge for five, six days. You know, yeah. it's not going to be the same. You're not going to want. And you're those. probably not going to want your next heart. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Do you ever uh, eat any of that stuff raw off the animal? Just I have. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we like I said, we eat it raw. Sea salt always way to go. Something sure. right. Um, but I'm a texture eater, so I like to eat it with some kind of crunch. Um, kind of helps the palate, but it's all delicious. That's so neat. Yeah. You know, I'm not a big fan of kidneys though. Yep. Yeah. Have you done testicles raw? Yeah, I've done them with you. Yeah. I was just making sure you remembered. <laughs> They're so good, right? It was my favorite cut I, I that mean, day. And yeah. it was hard to talk to people about that. Like, what would you like the best? <laughs> I like the testicles the best. Yes, yeah. The nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm with you, dude. I don't know how to they explain it. Like buttery them. and I don't know. It was it was good stuff. Buttery, yeah. oyster like. Uh-huh. There you go. Um, I don't know if you've did we do bone marrow that day, Raw? Didn't do bone marrow. Okay. No. That's just your straight up uh, Kerrygold, deep, dark, orange How butter do you do right that? there. Do you just scoop it and put it in the mouth? Or you do can you absolutely do that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because like all, all the beautiful thing about all these cuts we're talking about eating raw is that coming out of the animal, like they're all enveloped in connective tissue right. and between other muscles. So like from a sanitary perspective, fresh, it's never had contact with anything that could cross-contaminated right. and a healthy animal. That well, makes a lot of sense. And so, yeah, all day long, they're like designed to be eaten. And I think yeah. a lot of the accounts of uh, like the Comanche Indians, I mean, they're just getting after the raw organs. And even if you just watch a freaking pack of wolves take down an elk First at Yellowstone. First thing they're going after, man. Yeah, they're yeah. not going they after the, yeah. the prized cuts of modern palates. I mean, it's like a tomato, right? Is it better off the vine or seven days later, right? Same yeah. thing. Oh, same. It all makes sense. Same thing all day. Yeah. And, and there's something to learn probably from that too, about just being patient uh, with the things that do get better over time. It's like, uh, I mean, I love eating a good ribeye yeah. or tenderloin as anyone else, but like in my head, like the temptation is always just to like get to it a little too soon. Yep. 
but it's like uh, it's like waiting for Christmas morning as a little kid. You just have to. <laughs> right. You just it just teaches you that you know like there's this rhythm and this cycle that right. we're all a part of, right. and no matter how much you want to cheat the system, and that's and it's all about the process, right? And that's what it all comes down to. It's just like after that that animals on the ground, that's when all the fun starts, and when you get to eat, cook, break it down, and you know all that kind of stuff. Yep, I think. Um, I mean, e- eating. Wild game, whether it's elk or pronghorn or bison. I mean, those are all venison. Those are my favorite meats on the planet. So I'm I'm with you on this. Uh, when you when you look at a carcass, this is something I'm not good at. But from a chef perspective, how do you think about looking at the whole carcass and deciding what the right ways to cook different cuts are? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, being in the restaurant business so long and breaking down the animals and just cooking with them. Some of these pieces of meat just need longer time, right? Time is time is everything. Um, so, I mean, you've got your your tenderloins, your back straps, you can cut some hams off. But once you start getting into the shanks and the necks and, you know, pieces of shoulder, like those are going to take longer to cook. Um, so then, then that, like I said, getting back to the fun of it, like just knowing that you have all these different things that you get to cook, I don't know, it fires me up. Right. Um, And then all the grind that comes with it. Um, So, I mean, obviously these days you can look at something and it could tell you how to cook like a whole butchered animal. Right. Um, So I think that's a good way to start if you're not familiar with the way the animal is broken down. Sure. Um, But yeah, every, every piece is going to be cooked differently. So like for me, um, I can identify the probably like 20% of the cuts because right. there's a lot of freaking cuts in there if you really want to yeah. get into it. Yeah, I don't think I know them all. <laughs> um, and so, but but I can definitely like look at a cut and I can say, yeah, this one, I'm going to call that a roast. Yeah, there you uh, go. This one, I'm going to call that a steak. Uh-huh. And so like, uh, if you just kind of eyeballing these big whole cuts of meat, like from maybe like the shoulder, or the hind quarters, like, and you're just generically calling it a roast. Yeah. How would you, how would you approach like cooking something like that? Say based off of, uh, some red meat. Yeah. Um, you know, these longer cooks, um, you know, and it depends on the animal, right? So like with pig, I like to brine it, dry it, and then, you know, cook it for a really long time on those cuts. Um, other meats, you know, I mean, I think for the average cook, I think having a crock pot goes a long way. Um, I like to cook meats and get them. And this is like a kitchen thing, just getting them to where they are. So braising them for hours and hours, cooling them off. And then when it's time to cook, you're like, it's not taking three hours, right? Like you're just cutting it up a ripping hot grill or a saute pan with some beef tallow and just cooking that stuff up, making tacos or, um, you know, braising short rib and reheating that stuff up. Yeah. And, you know, you can cook those things way ahead of time and have meal prep. Right. So you could say, Hey, I want to eat these short ribs on Thursday. Yeah. And I have time on Monday because I'm off that night and you know, the kids at school or whatever. And like, you can brace that thing. And then when it comes down to your Thursday, when you get home, and things are all chaotic. It's like you're just heating that thing up. Yeah, you know, a little bit of stock or the Jew from whatever you braise it in, heating that thing in the oven. You've got a delicious meal there. Yeah, that's yeah. so convenient. Yeah, that's the way to do it, or to feed larger groups too. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you don't have to cook a bunch of individual cuts. Yeah. Um, I just feel like when you when you look at cooking, you should you should plan it out. Right. You should have a game plan. You shouldn't just pull this thing out of the freezer and be like, all right, we're eating this tonight. You know, <laughs> I mean, with a ribeye well. or something like that, obviously you can get away with that. But these yeah. other cuts, it's like, have a game plan, find a recipe, have fun with it. You know, you did all this to, to make it happen, to get it to your freezer. Now take the time to cook it. 
Yes. Get delicious. Yeah. The um, do justice to that animal. And the leftovers from these kind of oh, like slower dude. cooked things are just legendary. Like legendary. they get better yeah. with time. And even a roast for me, like I'll eat it in that current state that I, I cooked it. And then like two or three days later, I'll just start shredding it up and dicing it and pan frying. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like carnitas and they crisp up. Oh, it's like man. Thinking, making my I'm mouth water right now thinking about that. Yeah. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I know we speak the same but love think, language. Yeah. That's, that's the process, you know? Yep. Um, Man, Morgan from Force of Nature and House Chef right. had this posted this recipe last year online where he uh, he was like showing people how to cook bison also buco, right. which is going to be like I guess this is a shank yep. of an animal yep. crosscut shank or back shank, yeah. right? Yep. And so it was so simple, but it just was like so seasonally perfect because you put it in this broth, you have some like really fresh vegetables that you're putting in there, some high quality sea salt, and then you're stepping away for like four or five hours. That's it. And Let the it, oven do all the work, man. Yeah, and then like these cuts these like gelatinous tendons and this stuff you could never have imagined eating just melts off the shank or the also boot going. So good. It's like the best part of the whole experience. And but it's so good for you. Yeah. yeah. So I was even thinking like medicinal and seasonal, like I crave those types of meals during the winter when Dude. like colds are going around, yeah. kids are sick, yeah. everyone has the sniffles. Yep. It's just like a brace or so rib or a shank or a pot roast, something like that. It's like your body craves it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like the seasonal wisdom. Yeah. Of- but with that, it's like, you know, you're taking this high quality meat. So you want to put high quality ingredients with it, right? Like you said, the sea salt, you want to be making your own stock. Maybe it's from that animal or you, you made some chicken stock and then you're putting organic vegetables in there and cooking that all together and letting it all kind of get together. I think it's pair them up with things that, that equal that. Yes. The, um, the ingredients I kind of wanted, yeah, talk to you about like leveling up the quality. One of the biggest mistakes I see with people eating game that they harvested wild game in general is like, they'll just, uh, like if they're making sausage or they're going to get ground, they'll just put in some like commodity, you know, like 50 cents a pound pork fat, like industrial suffering pig fat in it. And you're just like, took this perfect creation of nature, which is like your deer or your elk. And then you just totally desecrated it with like this factory farm. Yeah. Either that or some kind of shitty beef fat, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, no, man. There's a disconnect. There's a disconnect big time, you know, and with sausage, I I agree a hundred percent, like find some pasture raised pork. You know, get that fat cap. You know, you don't want all the leaf lard. You want a little bit harder fat because it's going to grind better and not get all melty on you. So I'm 100% agreeing with you there. Where where can you find like high quality? I mean, talk to talk talk to the local market. The I mean, the farmers market. You know, and just give them a heads up. Hey, you know, I'm going on a hunt. You know, if I get lucky. I mean, obviously, but set it up. And these people are trying to get rid of this stuff. Yes. You know, a lot of this, they, they're just not selling slabs of fat to people at the market. <laughs> so it's like, they love that, right? Dude, Our, that's uh, a secret right there. Yeah. You're right. Sure. Yeah. Having that connection. And that's what it all goes back to, right? Resources. I think we all need to resource better. Yes. Yeah. Um, you've sent me over some recipes that I've asked you to share. And yeah, you always like are very specific, like whenever the ingredients are listed it's like the salt. You never just put salt. No. You're like high quality sea salt or, or really good olive oil. Yeah. Right, or you're right, like yeah. E extra virgin olive oil. Don't e. F it up. Yeah. yeah. And it's like very specific. Like what is, okay. So that is important, but like what, what is it with salt, man? I feel like salt is the most holiest of ingredients I to mean, cook people meat have wars with. over that stuff, right? Um, I, I, I love salt and we eat a lot of it. Um, and I like to source it from all over the, the world, right? And you can find it. 
online so much so easier like we get this gray salt from france that is just amazing and you feel better when you eat it i mean all the minerals and things like that i think i was telling you about a bag of salt that i bought offline from a podcast on uh paul check's thing he had a lady on talking about salt and it was like the power of the sea i forgot the name of the salt bag but they were saying they found nutrients and minerals from there that are from like other space, you know, wow. so it's like so much in that. Yeah. You know, and That's we've been told not to eat salt. Right. right. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And not to eat the red meat that yeah, you're putting the salt exactly, on. Exactly, man. But it's um, all backwards. But, you know, sourcing and finding those ingredients, you know, food should be fun and it should be healthy. And it's just digging in a little bit, buying an extra step above what you're going to find at the grocery store, right? Yep. We, um, you might do the same thing, but the circles that we tend to run with from time to time, like if, uh, my family goes on vacation, we'll just bring a a bottle of salt. Dude, that's my my move, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because like you're saying, it's just like such an important ingredient. But when you, a lot of the information out there with cooking wild game, I feel like it's outdated or it's just like has this weird, um, like it's not connecting with the modern hunter, like the more conscious consumer. And and like, there's a lot of like weird, like, uh, use pink curing salt and like right. all these bullshit preservatives uh-huh. that, especially like sausage making, right? which I think sausage making, we should talk about that. Cause that's a really fun way to get creative, have fun with your food and yeah. utilize the whole animal. Get everybody involved, right? Yes. A group to do it. I mean, you could do it by yourself, but it's so much fun, more fun when you got a group of people in there with their, all their different recipes and everybody's busting out different links and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. What you're putting in there, right? You want organic spices, right? Um, these days, like hot peppers are on the dirty dozen now. How scary is that, right? You know, just spray with glyphosate. And you don't think about that. You're like, okay, maybe I'll buy an organic bell pepper or a jalapeno that's organic. But then you go buy some paprika or something like that. It's not organic, right? Right. So digging in there, um, like you said, the, the fat that goes in it. Um, when it comes to sausage making, I think it's 25%, you know, fat. So like one to four yep. like fat ratio. That's what I've always gone by. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, I mean, you, you, this is something that we're really passionate about in my household, which is like the, the, um, the dried seasonings, especially yep. like the paprika and the peppers, like making sure that those are organic. And one of the other considerations in addition to like, what chemicals do I not want to be putting into my, my food and my body, but it's like, uh, all those organic dried spices they dried spices have to be treated. There has to be multiple steps to, to ensure food safety. Right. And some of those steps, one of them, most common one is like irradiating the food itself. And so like literally exposing that spice to radiation to right. nuke every damn thing in it, on it, that was ever part of it. Yeah, it's a time thing, right? Uh, you yeah, know? that's sketchy. The other... Uh, ideas you can treat it with chemicals. Uh, it's like another type of uh, <clears throat> pest management, antibiocide. You know, it's like a biocide treatment where they basically fumigate the dried seasoning. Right. So again, like you don't want that on in on your body, your loved ones. So yeah, I'd say really pay attention to that. I think so too. I mean, it just goes back to like how we, you know, with glyphosate, how they found out it dries it out before they harvest because sometimes rain will come in or it gets moist and kind of 
pushes them back on their yield and spraying those chemicals on there, they found out it just dries it out. It yes. doesn't grow anymore. It's dead. Yeah. You know, it's easier to produce and get in a bag and get to the consumer faster. So, you know, it's important. I, I feel like everybody should dig in a little bit more. Yeah. Well, with... um. Sausage making, I mean, obviously, I think like link sausage making is a little bit more advanced. Breakfast yeah. sausage making, that's like a little bit easier because you don't have to worry about casing and all right, that stuff. That's, that's a tough part. Yeah, yeah. It takes some finesse. It's totally doable. Yeah. Once you like watch one YouTube video or right. have someone show you, you're like, I get it. But um, like breakfast sausage type stuff, how do you how do you go from like having a, a concept in your head to maybe, is there like an intermediate, a test step before you just make like 30 pounds and... Yeah. Like no, how, do you, how do you small batch you mean, something right, right. like that? I mean, just start off with a little bit of the grind and have all your seasonings there and patty it up and fry it up. And you're like, all right, I'm there. Yeah. You know? So just cook it's it up. Not, it's One not hard. Patty. Yeah. Don't, there you go. don't go crazy. Like you said, you don't want to get into 30 pounds and be like, oh, this is the saltiest thing I've ever had. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, it's falling apart because I didn't get enough things in there or whatever it is. So um, spending that just quick second, just tasting it. Like if you're making a meatball, right? Before you patty them all up, you're probably frying a little piece. Absolutely. Just because it's delicious anyways. Um, and knowing what you're getting into. Yep. I've always been a little bit weird in the way that I just love uh, mixing fruit and meat, especially wild game. So like venison or bison or elk, okay. like I love getting grind. So like this morning I had uh, ground bison ancestral and I put bananas on top and then oh, I just wow. like mixed it. But it, like when I'm doing sausages too, like I love putting dried fruit in there. So like yeah. mangoes is top of the list. Blueberries is top of the list. Cranberries are good. Cranberries are great. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's something too about thinking outside of just, you got your meat and you got your seasonings and maybe like some veggies, but you can put like incorporate fruit. For sure. You can incorporate like sometimes I'll do like shallots or little diced onions yeah. or, you know, 100%. green onions, yeah. things like that. I mean, herbs are good, right? You know, sage and thyme all those all those herbs go a long way especially if you're doing the breakfast sausage like having that sage in there i think is what the taste should be that's critical yeah. huh for breakfast sausage yeah <laughs> <laughs> so okay so then um i mean this is just making me so hungry thinking about all this and it's making me really excited about uh whitetail season which is coming up right right so soon but uh best so we kind of talked about like cooking a meal that night focusing on organs but if you're going to like take that wild game, just for the sake of this conversation, let's just say it's a deer, even though I think like you could cook a deer and an elk and a pronghorn and a bison very similarly, like yeah. maybe like pig or wild turkeys, kind of different. So we'll say you're like red meat. Uh, you're going to really like do something super cool with that animal right now. Cause I know you're like always looking at recipes, but like right now, if you're like, man, I got to create a menu uh, for my friends and family off of this deer or red meat, what's that going to be? Right. I mean, one of my go-tos, like after a hunt, what I like to do is like a take on like a carne asada, right? So I take those cuts and those pieces of meat that are a little bit more lean, um, that take a little bit longer and I'll marinate them and throw them on the Traeger and smoke them, get them all the way cooked, cool that off. And then I like to dice it up, throw that in with the potatoes and corn or uh, carrots and celery and garlic bunch of stock and some good paprika and garlic and let that all cook down. And the potatoes will kind of thicken that stock up. So you have like a stew and then we'll get some organic tostada chips and build these things, these big tostadas with pico. And then you got like pickled radishes and whatever else you, you have around um, and kind of having this like tostada bar. And that it's always a hit. 
right? And, you know, it's it's a good way to showcase the animal. It kind of loses a little bit, but, you know, you get these big chunks of just meat that are delicious yeah. um, with all those spices. That's one of my favorite things to do, for yep. sure. Yeah. Uh, that sounds awesome. I wouldn't say that loses either. I, I'd say that like compliments. Or, yeah. Because to me, if I saw that meal laid out, I would still be like, yes, this the meat is the focus. Yeah, because you're leaving most big excited chunks about. in there, right? So it's like eating that pot roast kind of while you're right. eating it. Yeah, yeah. And then everything else. And that's kind of how we think about designing meals at our house. Like when Katie and I are really hungry, we'll just be like, what do you want for dinner? And we're not, I'm not, she's not asking me. I'm not asking her like, what sides do you want? Right. We'll figure that out. But we're always saying like, what meat do you want to eat tonight? Uh-huh. And then once we agree on that, we'll like creatively jazz it up. Right. But in our house, it doesn't get as uh, elaborate as, as your creative capacity. <laughs> we'll just typically do like Japanese sweet potatoes and then some wild game. Dude, sea salt. I mean, we are, you know, meat, some kind of potato, maybe um, a kale salad. That's like all the time for us. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's just what we go to with some with the salsa verde, right? Yeah. Just oh get yeah. After it, right? AP salsa verde, <laughs> <laughs> dude. I made that again this week. That Did is you? your signature I love thing, it, man. I oh, love it. It's yeah. on fire at my yeah. house. Okay, uh, let's 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 wrap this up with um, why is the process of procuring and preparing your own meat important to you? You know. I just feel, and I don't know where this could start or how we get back to it, but growing your own vegetables, watching an animal die, catching a fish, whatever it is, right, just leads people to not waste as much. So that's that's where I immediately go, right? Once you're involved and you see it and you're not disconnected from it, I think that's what it's all about. <clears throat> so... That's that's how I look at it, because you know how much time it took. You know the life of the animal. You met the animal, um, all that. And I just feel like this world would be so much better if people were connected a little bit more, right? Or look, if you don't want to shoot it, maybe your neighbor is a hunter and you're like, hey, man, I'll split it with you, right? Um, and then that neighbor also knows what you had to do to get it back to him. He's not going to waste as much, you know, and they're going to try to create really good meals with this. You know, I, I working in the restaurant, I don't know how many times I would see a $120 tomahawk come back halfway eaten. You know what I mean? Like that breaks my heart or like we'll send a, a steak out and it's a little overcooked or a little undercooked. It's like, Hey, we could take that up for you. No, we want a brand new one. That thing's just going in the trash because they just are not connected to what, what that took to raise that animal. Um, you know, and it just goes with anything. I think once you tap into that, you'll start appreciating everything around you, right? Knowing what it took and seeing something that's about to be rotten. And it's like, okay, let's let's cook that before it just completely goes and sits in your refrigerator for two weeks because you just keep looking at it, right? So I don't know, that's where my head goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. I think you're describing like participation versus just being a spectator. And, Dude. And, and and you're walking the walk. So I, I appreciate that. You're going dove hunting yeah. after this. Yeah. I'm out there right now, man. <laughs> you're the real deal. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we get lucky. You know, supposedly they're flying good, but yeah, coolers packed and ready to go. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Big shout out to Adam. Thank you, sir. Moral of the story here is if you ever refer to wild game meat as gamey, you're just straight being lazy. And if you call wild game meat tough, I'm starting to transition into a melting snowflake, feeling triggered. However, if you ever say wild game meat isn't edible, just remember if Adam or myself 
are in the vicinity and hear that come out of your mouth, those are fighting words. Now, if you're feeling inspired and want to get down with some really creative culinary masterpieces involving wild game, here's some cookbooks that Adam and I absolutely love. First, you got your Field to Table Cookbook. It's about gardening, foraging, fishing, and hunting by Susan L. Ebert. It's an amazing book. Tons of beautiful pictures. Uh, I also like The Sioux Chef's Indigenous Kitchen by Sean Sherman with Beth Dooley. And when I said Sioux Chef, it's S-I-O-U-X, like the Lakota Sioux Indians. Very amazing book. And then, of course, you have A Field by Jesse Griffiths. If this episode cranked on your culinary juices to level 10, that's a good thing. But if hunting is not on the agenda this year, head over to the sponsor of this podcast, Force of Nature. You can go to forceofnature.com and you can have access to all types of wild game meats and have them delivered right to your door. I'm talking about Texas wild caught boar. Pretty neat. Bison, venison, elk, you name it. And Force of Nature also has really amazing culinary videos uh, from our in-house chef, Morgan Weeks. And so my personal favorite is the bison also buco recipe that Morgan created. And that video is online. It's, it's absolutely going to become your favorite cool season go-to dish. If you want to meet Chef Adam, he's going to be here in the flesh at Rome Ranch on October 21st. That evening, he's going to be cooking a true locally sourced, regeneratively inspired farm to table. I call it a ranch to table feast with Morgan Weeks. Um, and it's going to be absolutely legendary. I'm going to just read off some of the highlights from the menu. We got charred and glazed bison tongue lettuce wraps with turmeric pickled jicama, zucchini, salsa verde, bison heart tartar serrano, and tom pico de gallo, chunks of avocado, citrus, and sea salt, beef tallow, masa chips. I mean, come on, guys. Grilled bison ribeyes and fillets, which is going to be the tenderloins, beef tallow roasted, B5 farm baked potatoes and Japanese sweet potatoes. This is just absolutely out of control. Cowboy butter, Peruvian sauce, black garlic, chimichurri, the list goes on. So if you're interested in enjoying the fruits of Adam's labor, uh, if you want to come out and feast, really be inspired by some of the most perfect cooking of wild game meat that's october 21st from 5 to 8 p.m you can get your tickets at romeranch.com and we hope to see you there farewell friends